2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back to our program. By the way, the
3: FDA just approved boosters, the Pfizer booster for 16 and 17 year olds. So it used to be if you were over 18, it is now a three shot regimen. Now, if you're over 16 or 16 or over, it's a three shot regimen. So if you have 17, 16 or 17 year old kids in your family, get them and and it's been more than six months since they got their second shot get them to the get them a a booster here i wanted to share with you a story by uh, nicole carlos that was published over at salon it's titled scientists just came to a disturbing conclusion about the political divide in the united states i think that this is this is actually a much bigger issue than even this study came to And i'll get to that in just a moment what they're pointing out is that America has become increasingly polarized over the last 40 years or thereabouts and it's largely been driven not by the left moving farther to the left right the you know I mean we're not even to uh, back to where we were in 1966 when we got medicare you know uh, passed and and or 65 with the civil the voting rights act or 64 with the civil civil rights act we we have been instead moving farther and farther and farther to the right year after year after year and not only as a nation but within the political sphere those on the right have been moving so far to the right that many of them now are literally in the fascist part of the right wing spectrum so this, was, this model was fu- published in the proceedings of the national academy of scientists and what they noted here's a quote from it we see this very disturbing pattern in which a shock brings people together a little bit closer initially. Now, what they're talking about is like, for example, think of World War II, right? We got hit with Pearl Harbor, the whole country pulled together. Now, that was a time when Republicans didn't have a lot of power and Democrats ran the country by and large all across the country Franklin Roosevelt was president the New Deal was very popular we were doing all these socialist things like Social Security and minimum wage and and uh, you know uh, whatnot. and you know the country just pulled together Republicans as well as Democrats I I realized that the America First movement which preceded December 7 1941 uh, you know from the mid-30s right up until 1941 Uh, You know, with uh, Lucky Lindbergh and all that kind of stuff, that they were opposed to our fighting Hitler. We had a pro-Hitler movement in the United States. In fact, the German-American Bund had, you know, meetings in in Madison Square Garden. Thousands of guys with Nazis, swastikas, you know, doing the the Nazi salute and everything uh, back in the day. But when we got hit on Pearl Harbor, we pulled together. And those voices were just basically silenced. We saw something very similar to that on 9-11. On 9-11, when the United States was attacked, we had Republicans in charge. George W. Bush was president, and Republicans controlled the House and the Senate, as I recall. And the consequence of that was that Democrats came to the Republicans' side and said, you know, this is not, we're not going to turn this into a partisan issue. We are all Americans, and we have all been attacked. And, of course, this was at a time, you know, when when George W. Bush was seen as an illegitimate president because the Supreme Court had handed the White House to him uh, after his brother down in Florida had rigged the vote. And pretty much everybody knew it. It was common common knowledge in 2001 when 9-11 happened. But nonetheless, the Democrats said, we're with you, George. I mean, to the point of going to war with Iraq and Afghanistan, sadly. But that's an example of coming together. But anyhow, back to this study published in the National Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, they say shock brings people a, a little bit closer initially. But if polarization is too extreme, eventually the effects of a shared fate, like you know, 9-11 or or Pearl Harbor, and I would say in this case the pandemic, eventually the effects of a shared fate are swamped by the existing divisions. And become, and people become divided even on the shock issue, which is exactly what has happened with COVID. The Republicans turned COVID into a political issue. They politicized a virus. And they, ha- and they continue to use it to try to tear America apart to the point where you've got, you know, like Governor Stitt, uh, you know, of, uh, what, what is it, Montana, I think? Um, you know, saying to his National Guard people, oh, you don't have to worry about getting vaccinated, everything will be, you know, and, and now they're, they're in deep trouble. Um, you know, Christy Nome bragging about bringing hundreds of thousands of COVID-infected people to South Dakota and having South Dakota then thereafter, you know, for the next month or so, having one of the highest death rates in America. This is a badge of honor for Christy Nome that as governor, she probably killed more people per capita than any other governor in the United States, although I think that Ron DeSantis is giving her a good run for his money, or for her money. But they, they note in this piece, they say, if we reach that point, we cannot unite, even in the face of war, climate change, pandemics, or other challenges to the survival of our society. And what I would like to point out is that this is not something that has just recently happened, and didn't come about just because Donald Trump was president and he was a professional liar. He, he, he spent his whole career being a liar, lying about his taxes, lying—I mean, you know—lying about what his properties were worth to get his taxes down, lying to people who wanted to buy condos, lying, <laughs> lying about his, pro, his various products, lying about his school. He got he actually, you know, successfully uh, prosecuted for that one. Uh, lying about his his nonprofit, he got successfully prosecuted for that one too. All three of his kids had to go to class to learn how to be ethical, you know, stewards of a nonprofit. But I would submit to you that this was not just Donald Trump. That what happened was in the nineteen seventies, in largely actually, I think we can take this back to nineteen fifty four, the Brown v. Board decision. And sadly, so much in this country goes back to race. In 1954, the Brown v. Board decision said, segregated schools are no longer legal in the United States. The right wing, the same right right wing people who in the 40, in the 30s, uh, you know, leading up to 1941 had been saying, you know, Hitler's an okay guy and we can work with him. Those same people started saying, oh my God, the Supreme Court has been taken over by communists, Earl Warren, Dwight Eisenhower's appointee to the Supreme Court is a communist, and we need to impeach him for saying that our little white children have to go to school with black children. I mean, that was the issue. And that permeated our politics increasingly, and and you had uh, right-wing billionaires jump into this. You you know, Fred Koch supporting the the John Birch Society. The John Birch Society was all about this. The, The communists in the State Department, John Stormer, none dare call it treason. Leading up to the 1960s, where Richard Nixon was carrying this banner and felt that, you know, uh, he was so right, it was so important to fight this socialism, this creeping socialism, that he was willing to commit treason against the United States of America and tell the South Vietnamese, don't cut a deal with Lyndon Johnson to have peace in Vietnam. And as a consequence of that treason that Richard Nixon committed in 1968, another 20,000 plus Americans and another million plus Vietnamese died. Can you imagine the blood that that man has on his his soul? And And then Reagan came along and said, oh yeah, well, same deal. We'll cut a deal with the Iranians to hold the hostages to destroy the Jimmy Carter presidency. But what was happening throughout this entire time was this whole right, this right-wing group of billionaires and foundations, family foundations, were pouring money into these right-wing think tanks that were churning out right-wing propaganda, and they were polarizing America in a way that on the right, on the left, people were still saying, oh yeah, well, you know, well, however the election turns out, that's how it turns out, and we can all work together. Yes, you know, we may disagree on politics, but we're all brothers and sisters here. On the right, they were saying a very different message, starting explicitly in the 1980s, saying that, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan, for example, when the AIDS crisis happened, saying, well, gay people aren't really part of America. We're not gonna do anything about that. They're getting what they deserve, was basically the message of the Reagan administration with regard to HIV AIDS. And and then that got, you know, amplified with, and then George W. Bush becomes president, 9-11 happens, And the Democrats, the left, said, okay, we will join you. But I am guessing if Al Gore had been president, it might not have played out that way. Because I think we were already at that point in 2001. But Al Gore wasn't president. So here now we have a Democrat president, Joe Biden, during a pandemic with now a a new variant coming along, uh, promising to make things even worse. And the right is promoting a, a, an ideology, a theory, a, a meme that is causing more and more Americans to die every day. I mean, the death numbers are going up. Our, our count over at uh, TrumpDeathToll.org is uh, for today, uh, brought to you by the Hartman Report, by the way. TrumpDeathToll.org is uh, 793,228. It's amazing and i think this is because the republican party has become has ceased to be an american political party in the in the sense of like america i, I was going to say america first but you know echoes of the old uh neo nazi movement but but you know a party that puts the the well-being of america first they have ceased to be that and i would argue that they ceased to be that Definitely in 1981 and arguably in 1968. And the Republican Party has become just about power and wealth for the top 1%, period. This is their only priority. And they don't care how many people die in order to hold power to maintain that. And that's why, you know, what these scientists are saying oh my God, look at this. I mean, like I said, it's the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences and that and they're concerned that this might be an endpoint for america because the right has become so heavily polarized that they're not literally not willing to work with the left for the good of the country so how does this play out what do we do with this in my opinion the way it's going to play out is one of two ways either the right seizes power In which case, they're going to continue doing everything they can to destroy democracy, the left, and any semblance of a free and open media and society in the United States. We're going to become like Hungary. Or they're going to be marginalized, and we're going to see through what they're doing.
2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. And
3: the next three years are the key to the whole thing, which is why it's so important that you and I keep... Keep talking about this stuff and keep waking people up. Paul in Ambler, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today?
4: Hi, Tom. Talking about the increase in the infections and the hospitalizations due to the the Delta variant, you know, the the Omicron hasn't really sucked its its hooks into- Yeah, it's popped up up in 22
3: states so far, but it still is uh, peripheral, yes.
4: Uh, the real, the real, real problem is is the Delta and the people. I think you know everyone who watches the news, and I, I'm going to refer to the National Network News because you really, you know, you get to see a, a broad perspective of our country in aggregate. Uh, it's just loaded with people, 90% plus, all unvaccinated, and even in areas where. But many people, or very high percentages of people, like in New England, you know, Massachusetts and states like that, New Hampshire, I think, you have like 80 percent. Very, very high penetration of of the vaccine into the overall population, and even their hospitals are being inundated. So I'm I'm sitting there and I'm watching it, and then they were trying to compare, you know, what's going on elsewhere in the world, and in China, you know, they're dealing with it too.
3: But China has really had a total China. of five thousand deaths from COVID. Exactly. We have had seven hundred thousand. They,
4: they make a the pejorative comment. Well, uh, the Chinese vaccine isn't as good as our vaccine, and I'm thinking, like, yeah, but like, uh, no, it's, that, it, it's, it's not. It's not
3: about the vaccine, Paul. It's it's about the fact that China. Locked down the coronavirus. They they locked well, down that, their entire country. When they, you know, one of the reasons why we've got a supply chain problem here in the United States is that is that uh, you know two of their major ports, the two largest ports, they shut down for a full two months because a couple of COVID well, they, cases they popped up on down. shippers.
4: But even even if you do that, Tom, without the vaccine, you can't function. I mean, you, they can't stay locked down forever. Yeah. China has distributed over two and a half billion. Shots. Well, basically, they have near a hundred percent compliance. Now they bring and they're doing topic. it with
3: children uh, all the way down to the age of three. By the way, in China,
4: yeah, they're, they're, the whole population has to be covered. And if you don't do that, it doesn't matter how good the American vaccine is. then the third of the people don't take it, yeah,
3: I'm with you I'm with you Paul, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. All that was right. a good rant. Thank you very much. Dana in Springfield, Illinois. Hey, Dana, thanks for listening to us on SiriusXM. What's up? Yes, uh, you were talking about Nixon's postponing the, the uh, Paris talks. He also was taking
7: money from foreign countries during his campaign, too.
3: Specifically what? I don't
7: I, I remember reading it. But I, I can't remember what it was. Johnson knew about it as well as the Paris thing, but he, he didn't want to say anything about it because he figured everybody was sour grapes.
4: Yeah, it's, it's just
3: an amazing little moment of history. And uh, I, I'm, in fact, I'm going to play the audio again because every American, I, I realize, you know, our, our audience is constantly rolling over and changing. And so, you know, many of you have heard this before, but probably many of you have not. But it's worth revisiting. When Lyndon Johnson, when the CIA came to Lyndon Johnson in in, in October of 1968, and said Richard Nixon has reached out through uh, Anna Chenault, uh, you know, through through uh, out of New Mexico, has reached out to the South Vietnamese and said just blow up the peace talks and I'll make you rich. The CIA told LBJ that LBJ calls up Everett Dirksen, the, uh, the, the, you know, major Republican and an ethical man. Back then you had ethical Republicans. The, the leader of the, of the Republicans in the Senate has this conversation. Here we go.
8: Here's the latest latest uh, information we got. The agent says that uh, she's just they just talked to the boss in New Mexico Uh and he says that you must hold out. Just hold on until after the election. We know what Chu is saying to them out there. Yeah. We're pretty well informed on both ends. Now, I'm reading their hand, Everett. I don't want to get this in the campaign. That's right. And they oughtn't to be doing this. This is treason. I know.
3: This is treason. And the, and the, and the Republicans says, I know. And Dana, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, how that has been so thoroughly scrubbed from our history, I don't know. I don't know why this isn't taught. In elementary, you know, in in high school, in high school history classes, the treason of Richard Nixon. Even. There's
7: a lot of things that scrub from the history books, actually.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, yeah. uh, and and it, <laughs> and it doesn't have anything to do with critical race theory, but I guarantee yeah.
7: you. <laughs> I've always said that history
3: itself, and in, in school, is just enough to let your
9: appetite. Do some outside reading.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, and hopefully that's the case. I mean, you know, reading history is is something everybody should be doing. History is it's the it's our story right Uh, i mean literally it's where the word comes from his story Well, well now we have her story and their story and our story and all the but that's history we need to know our history and i'm telling you this division that we're seeing right now that's killing people with covid began with that action by richard nixon in 68 That was the year Republicans decided committing treason and killing Americans. Another 20,000 Americans died in Vietnam was an acceptable thing to do to gain political power. Welcome back. Tom Arvin here with you. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today?
10: Hi. I was um, recollecting that I'd seen a graph, and I just found it, that shows... um, the number of, uh, the percentage of people uh, of race in the United States, uh, whites at 61%, but uh, only 59% of them are dying due to COVID. And blacks at 12%, but 14% are dying due to COVID. These are the, the COVID deaths. Right. 14% of them are black. And then you get to Hispanics it's 17% of them uh, in the population of the United States, but they're dying. The deaths are 18%. So, when you're looking at why these southern states might be dragging their feet when it comes to COVID and trying to get their people well and stop them from dying, I think they're doing the numbers, and and politically they're saying, yeah, it's it's almost the same thing that that Lee Atwater said, yeah, it's hurting all of our people, but it's hurting minorities more, so right. we can live with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
9: and
3: that's and, the and, that's but, the math that the Trump administration did on April 7th two, right. 2020. You know, they they the, the headline was blacks are, are dying disproportionately to whites in the United States. And and that was the literally the day that the Trump administration said, OK, that's it. We're no longer going to try and stop this this virus. Plus, it was all in blue states. It was all in, you know, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York and, and Washington state.
10: Right. And so so when you when you sit back and I was wondering, the reason why I even looked that up because I say all of these southern states, these these red states, are letting their people die, and I was trying to find the reason why, and and it turns out even though because most of those red states have a large black population, have have the ones in the population. south
3: certainly yes,
10: right. that's not so true of South
3: Dakota or North Dakota though I, I you know and they're they're killing their people too
10: or Idaho they're idiots. Yeah. <laughs> They're idiots. They're, they listen to Donald Trump and they just, they yeah. just follow along with them. Like the, Donald Trump just, just recently stated that more people died of COVID under Biden than they did under, uh, under Trump. But that, that was a study that looked at 2020 versus 2021. And every Republican that keeps repeating that, that study forgets that Donald Trump was president in 2021 for 20 days. And uh, January was the worst month for Donald Trump, relative to COVID, Uh, 4,400 people were dying a day as Donald Trump was getting ready to leave office. And Biden's first day, he hit at 4,400 also. And then it went down for Biden from there. And so so what Trump did, he gave Biden a record of 4,000 deaths a day, and Biden has knocked it down. And it still looks like Biden may end up, in his first year, seeing less deaths than Donald Trump did in his last year. Yeah. But the Republicans uh, never think very deep whenever they're uh, making their rhetoric up. And so they, they're just leaving out that last month where Donald Trump, we were seeing more deaths than what happened on 9-11. Yeah. Every day.
3: Yep. 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 It was a true tragedy. Larry, you're the numbers man. I I, I so honor your... your uh, your skill with with uh, you know looking things up and finding the numbers and and explaining them in ways that are clear to everyone thank you thank you so much for the call it's great to hear from you Silvio in uh, Massapequa New York hey Silvio what's up
8: how you doing Tom Um, Uh, the reason I called okay the reason I called is that uh, I feel that a lot of the voters Republican voters don't really understand what authoritarianism really is and the authoritarian bent of the republican party is really if you look at the history of it the one thing that any authoritarian cannot tolerate is dissent and when there is dissent there comes suppression and i guarantee this that if the republicans ever get the house the senate and the presidency you can expect little by little Depression to occur in this country, starting with college campuses. Uh, with um, It's happening unions. right now
3: in red states all over the country, uh, Silvio. You know, well, they're, they're on like college said, campuses, they're afraid ma- to teach uh, the, the actual history of the United States. Uh, they're afraid to teach about global warming. Um, I mean, you know, it's. Uh, and, and we saw DeSantis uh, down in Florida, you've got all these scientists who are literally, working for the state, who literally were destroying their own data on COVID so that Ron DeSantis wouldn't fire them.
8: Well, you can expect it to be magnified should the Republicans ever gain control. Agreed. And you'll see incidents like Kent State not happen once, but happen several times. Yeah. You'll see uh, the worst kind of conflict against unions back to what it was in the 1930s. Right. This is what you can expect. And if, see, if I see any person who is involved in education or is a union member, Voting for the Republicans, I say basically, why don't you get a knife and cut your own throat?
3: Yeah, yeah, it, it really is sad. By the way, Louise and I watched the last show from John Oliver's show, the last show of the season, and uh, it was all about the union busting, the professional union busting that Target and Amazon and all these other companies, that Starbucks now, are bringing in. I, I just want to highly recommend that to everybody. But, uh, Silvio, I think you're right, and I think that these guys don't. You know, at some level, they understand authoritarianism, but they think that it's a good thing. It's like the strict parent. Uh, they don't realize that eventually it's going to come for them, too. And when you look at countries where authoritarianism rules, that's 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 you know that's the tragic outcome in almost every case. Uh, thanks a lot for the call, Silvio. It's great to hear from you. Uh, David in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, David, what's on your mind? Today?
6: Hello, Tom. I don't want to talk about Lauren Boebert. I want to talk about the woman who's running against her. Cool. Tell me. Uh, her name is Sol Sandoval. She's a progressive Democrat running in that district. And uh, she's just wonderful, just a very nice person. I do not work for her campaign. but uh, I'm assuming well, there has not her. yet
3: been a primary. She's not the official candidate yet. She is one of several.
6: Yes, but I, I believe she's leading in that primary okay. right now. And uh, she's, she's a progressive's dream. Everything uh, Bobert is not. She actually finished high school. Wow, <laughs> and, uh, impressive. uh college, even. Yeah, you know, and wow. And she's, she's a qualified candidate. I, I think you should have her on your show. She's, she's someone you would really like to talk to. Yeah,
3: well, thank you, uh, David. We, we do have candidates on after they've won primaries. But, right. uh Unless it's a primary that I personally know the, the players, like we did with uh, here in Portland a while ago. Uh, I don't do primary uh, candidates. I understand. But, but uh, what's her name again? Saul Sandoval?
6: Yeah, S-O-L, Sandoval. Yeah. Okay. Sol Sandoval, Sol, that's how we would pronounce it. Yeah. And uh, she's worth look, checking out. Check her out.
3: Well, I, I will do that. Thanks a lot for the call, David. I appreciate the heads up. Peggy in Odessa, Missouri. Hey, Peggy, what's on your mind today?
5: Hi, Tom. Um, I stopped talking to my family who loves Trump so much several months ago. Oh my! And I wasn't going to send them my Christmas card. But then I got to thinking that my one way to say something very important to them to make them think about what they're they're doing, and I thought I would pick a verse from the Bible, and I don't know my Bible very well, but I thought I would pick a verse that would you know make them think twice about what they're doing and uh, so uh, i I asked one of my Christian groups uh to give me some ideas. And uh, one is uh Deuteronomy twenty seven nineteen That Cursed be anyone who deprives the immigrant of justice. I mm-hmm. just thought, you know, maybe other people might it not think it about won't. doing this. It,
3: it, Peggy, I, I congratulate you and applaud your efforts, but I guarantee it's not gonna change their minds.
5: Yeah, yeah.
3: It's yeah. it, it's so sad though that you you have family members who got sucked into the Fox News Trump trap.
5: Yeah, well, Breitbart I think started them.
3: Uh that's that's like
5: heroin. Yeah. I mean, main, they've been in mainlining. it for years. Yeah. Uh, they they showed me a paper several years ago and I read it and it's like what in the world and I just threw it away I didn't even think anything about it. And then
0: in comes Trump. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I get it. Well, Peggy, I wish you the very best. I, you know, happy holidays to you and your family. And and uh, if you're sending Christmas cards, I guess Merry Christmas would be the appropriate thing to say to you. And I and I hope, uh, you know, we can all we can all hope and, and send good vibes and prayers to your your you and your family that they uh, see the light. Uh, Peggy, thank you very much for the call. Rob in Waconia, Minnesota. Hey, Rob, what's up?
1: Hey, Tom, I just wanted to call and correct you on something you said. It's not a real big deal. You said that every Republican voted against protecting Medicare and American farmers from sequester cuts act.
3: Yeah, apparently there was and one. Actually, go ahead.
1: One Republican, Adam Kinziger, voted with the Democrats.
3: Ah, uh, Okay, thank you for that. I, You know, I'm, I'm looking at the graphic over at the top of Democratic Underground, and you're right, it says every House Republican but one. And thank you for letting me know it was Kinzinger. I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. He, he's uh, turning into a reasonable person now that he's not running for re-election. And, uh, and yeah, now that I've, he's been disowned by his own party.
1: Yeah, I was posting it on my Facebook page, and, and I wanted to have an article to go along with it. And I found this article, and I was like, hmm, Tom was off by one.
3: Yes, <laughs> I was, Rob. Thank you for correcting that. I, I truly appreciate it. And Certainly.
1: No yeah. trouble at all. Okay. Thanks have a lot a good for day. the call.
3: Good talking to you. John in uh, Idaho Springs, Colorado. Hey, John, what's up?
4: Oh, hey. I just wanted to comment on that timeline you went through with our presidents. And it seems like the Republicans really bear down and they produce the most conflict when we have a green economy guy running. Uh, you know, first Carter, then Gore, now Biden. And I think it's really obvious what I'm saying. And it seems like the same old story that everything has to do with energy control and that everything else that's going on is just a big distraction. And it's just, you know, it's trying to create a divide between us. Um, And the only good thing I can see with all of this is that we finally did get a greenish guy in there. Yeah.
3: Well, and it took and a crisis thing. to get us there, but uh, yeah, and and
5: and, it and, and let it us not right.
3: forget that you know I mean starting in the '50s with the with the John Birch Society, Fred Koch made his fortune uh, in the, with the Soviet Union drilling for oil, and then you know came back to the United States and became an oil baron, and his sons were oil oil billionaires. Are you know there's only one I could think who's still alive and uh... you know there's a bunch of other fossil fuel billionaires the hunt brothers were fossil fuel they were the richest men in the world and they were fossil fuel uh, they were not billionaires back then multi-millionaires and uh... you know they've got a particular axe to grind which is fossil fuels you know it's the source of their income it's the source of their revenue so it shouldn't surprise us that that, that it's playing out the way just the way that you described john also energy as as i think maybe this is your point John, energy is the key to everything You can't run a society without energy. So whoever controls the energy controls the society. And if everybody has solar panels on the roof, nobody can control them, right? We'll be back.
5: be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
3: Kirk in Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Kirk, what's up? Hi, Tom. I wanted to say thanks to
1: Free Speech for providing the platform. Thanks to you for providing the show. And then thanks to you personally for having the courage to get up and be our flashlight in the wilderness every day. I think, unfortunately, as we go towards 2024, you're going to become increasingly
3: valuable. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you, Kirk. Your your acknowledgement is appreciated. What's up? Is that That's not what you called about, is it?
1: No, I wanted to, you know, do what is done so well on your show, and that's call out people on our side who betray us. And I wanted to mention the naked opportunist Joe Manchin and the full populist John Tester and how they voted against Joe Biden's federal vaccine mandate. Yeah,
3: and it's disappointing. I do think that you know, they both represent states that Donald Trump won overwhelmingly. And the vaccine mandate is something that will be used as a political weapon against them. So I think they were just disarming their opponents. It was also a meaningless vote. It's never going to get through the House. And even if it did get through the House, it'll be vetoed by Joe Biden. Um, So I'm not quite as, you know, uh, I'm not experiencing quite as much angst about that as I am about the fact that uh, Joe Manchin is trying to stop the filibuster uh, when it comes to things like voting rights.
1: Exactly. But I'm I'm concerned that, you know, John Tester seems to be becoming increasingly emboldened to. Perhaps show his colors more and, eh, you, know,
3: he, you know he represents a red state he, I, I, at a certain point you've got to expect that and, and if you want to have a democrat from a red state that's probably the kind of democrat you're going to get um
1: does he have to cozy up to the banks like he has in the past though
3: well i'm guessing that they're probably funding his campaigns he's not he, you know john tester does not pretend to be a progressive
1: yeah well he puts his farmer jacket on and Oh, you know, well, he's
3: representing farmers, but the farmers, you know, are, are tend to be very conservative people these days.
1: Well, so, I know that I come from a yeah. family, but yeah. um, I don't know. Just wanted to bounce that off you. Thanks yeah. for the perspective, and, and sure. once again, thanks for doing this every day.
3: My my pleasure, Kirk. Thank you very much. Uh, it's good to hear from you, Diana, in Preston,
0: Idaho. Hey, Diana, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Hey, I love listening to you, Tom, because you speak plainly and you sound strong. You know, I'm a lover of peace, but I'll never let my love of peace go so far that it turns me into a coward. And so many of the Democrats appear to be weak because of the way they sound. When they say, you know, when they go low, we go high, that sounds great. But I was in a situation in the early 1980s. I was teaching at a Jewish temple and myself and the janitor who was black had to go out and fight skinheads who were throwing rocks and bricks at the temple. Right. We had to pick. We didn't have weapons. We had to pick up the rocks and the bricks and throw them back. Yeah. You know. So uh, you know, I kind of felt later like David. You know, with the five stones. But
3: yeah, I'd like you know, to. They, I'd they, like to rewrite they, they Michelle's they slogan and say, oh. and say when they go low, we we kick them in the ass.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got I had I never fought with bricks or stones before. Yeah. You know, and and this was in the early 1980s. I had about 20 old Jewish ladies in there in my class. Wow.
3: How did it end up?
0: The it cops got there. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. We and and so did uh people took pictures too. There were pictures taken and we ended up on the uh cover of the newspaper, which I didn't <laughs> like that, but Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I had never fought anybody before. Yeah, I didn't have a chance to go high. I yeah. had to, you know, fight fire yeah. with fire. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you, Diana. I'm with you. And, with, and I yeah. think
3: that the more I mean, you're here in Idaho. I doubt you have a Democratic m- member of Congress, but you can certainly reach out to others and and just tell yeah. them, please be strong. Please start using strong language. Please start standing up to these people. We are sick and tired yeah. of, of wimpy Democrats. Please get out there and kick some ass. Yeah, Diana. Thank you for the call. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do need to move along, but okay. thank you so much, Mike in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today?
9: Well, I, I have to tell you, I enjoy your show, but I have trouble with the Republican-Democratic uh, dichotomy. Um, and, and give and, me an alternative. And, <laughs> well, the, the small alternative in, in small letters is Green Party, you know. But I mean, I cannot agree with. I, I did not vote for Trump, nor biden nor clinton you know because uh, i just couldn't in my heart vote for these people uh mm-hmm. i just don't there's too many things i disagree with on both parties and and uh and so i think there's a large population like myself who are kind of disgusted with the whole paradigm you know i
3: disagree and, mike i i know that, that that is the major message if you if you read the Mueller report the major message that the russian trolls were promoting through social media back in 2016 was that both parties are the same? Both parties are corrupt. Both parties are disgusting. Don't even bother to vote. And you no, did exactly you what the what the Putin administration was telling Americans no. they should do. You you chose no. not to participate in our politics, or no, not to vote not for one it. of the two major parties. Okay, Mike. Thanks for the call. Mark Taylor Canfield in Seattle. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today?
11: Hi, Tom. I want to wish you and your family a happy holiday season. And thank you and uh, for all your dedicated work that you and your staff put into producing the show five days a week. So keep up the good work. Well, thank Appreciate you,
3: Mark. It. Back at you to you and yours.
11: Well, I have some news. The U.S. just won an appeal to allow the extradition of Julian Assange from the U.K. And if we have uh, a minute here, I'd like to try to put this into context, if I may, and offer some disturbing statistics on what's happening to journalists around the world sure but as executive director for democracy watch news i've been covering some pretty high level online conferences over the last few weeks including the reuters next conference which features some pretty impressive lists of of world leaders and also Stacey abrams who addressed challenges to democracy in this country and then of course this week we have the biden administration's democracy summit which has you know been criticized for the u.s's hypocrisy in hosting an international summit while we support authoritarian regimes like Saudi Arabia with a recent major arms deal and other nations where democracy is not respected by those governments, but I did start to see some progress during both conferences on the issues of press press freedom, something I've been very concerned about and which hasn't gotten much attention in the U.S. media and in public policy circles of course, especially during the Trump administration. But now, at least, we have some government officials like U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken who are talking about this issue and paying more attention to the plight of journalists like Nobel laureates Maria Ressa and Dmitry Muratov. And there are some efforts through USAID and the International Fund for Public Interest Media to support struggling news agencies that are finding it more and more difficult to do their work around the world. But I want to share some statistics here um, provided by Reporters Without Borders and the Committee to Protect Journalists, and that is that according to Reporters Without Borders, 43 journalists and four media workers were killed in 2021 in countries around the world, 361 professional journalists. 103 citizen reporters and 22 media workers have been imprisoned, representing a frightening increase in the uh, persecutions of people just trying to do their jobs in some very dangerous parts of the world. And in their official statement, CPJ urged the Democracy Summit participants to work for the release of imprisoned journalists, to combat impunity for the murders of journalists and the legal attacks on journalists, and to protect them from surveillance and shutdowns of news agencies by these authoritarian regimes. And here in the U.S., there are currently no federal shield laws protecting journalists who are pressured by law enforcement or the courts to reveal their sources. In a recent case in Seattle, where I live, reporters were ordered by the courts to turn over video of protests to the police department. Every reporter and news organization who received those subpoenas were publicly opposed to that, but they lost their case when a district judge ruled for the police department. By the way, the United States is currently ranked 44th in the world in terms of press freedom by Reporters Without Borders, and we've got to do a much better job of ensuring that independent journalists are able to get the funding they need for vital investigative reporting in a country where just a few mega media corporations now dominate the media landscape, and small independent news organizations are really struggling to compete in the face of that kind of a monopoly. community. And public media needs a lot of support in order to survive. So I just wanted to get that information out to folks because as the Committee to Protect Journalists President Robert Mahoney said in their statement on the Democracy Summit, support for press freedom is critical. To reversing this decline in democracy worldwide, that you've been talking about. Yeah. However, now we have a situation where Julian Assange is being extradited to the United States for prosecution. That's highly ironic and hypocritical, in my, from my point of view, Tom. Yeah, uh,
3: it, it could cut. Uh, it could cut, actually, in some ways, to the benefit of journalism. But I, 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 I broadly share your perspective, Mark. And, and what uh, so many of these legislators seem to not realize is that. Without journalism, you can't have a functioning democracy without an independent press. Mark, thanks for the call. John in Walport, Oregon. Hey, John, what's on your mind today?
9: Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I got an idea. I don't know if it would work or not, but... uh When I get uh, a request from the Democratic Party to donate money, I've thought about, right, taking a marking pen and putting the big letters, no money until you people start taking on the Republican Party and their dupes on the air. It just kind of... uh, What what does that mean, John? Well, what it means is basically they're going to have to either uh, lose the junkyard dog and let him do his job, or uh, they don't get any more money to feed the dog. So which junkyard dog are you talking about? The one that comes to mind is about the employment numbers to uh, Biden. Mm -hmm. And he had 200,000 and it was a lackluster. uh, But when Trump uh, had
3: 200,000, it was considered a great success.
9: Robust, yes. yes. Very robust success. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that should be taken to task and, and, it and made at least apparent.
3: I mean, it's, it, uh, there have been two, two columns in the Washington Post and one in the New York Times just in the last 48 hours pointing that out, pointing out the hypocrisy right? of this. Yeah. And, and you know who's okay. driving this thing is Eric Bowler. Er, er, Eric Bowler has been doing just great work. He's got a, a great newsletter there, that you can Tom? subscribe to for free. It's uh, at pressrun.media. And uh, it, I subscribe to it. He had a great rant this morning about the economic numbers, and uh, it's worth subscribing to and sharing with your friends. But you know, John, I, I'm with you. I, I want the, I want the Democrats to take names and kick ass. I, you know, w- these are not normal times, and we can't behave like these are normal times. We need to be out there, and we, and our spokespeople need to be out there. Yeah, John, thank you very much for the call, Edward in Sierra Madre, California. Hey, Edward, what's up?
2: Hey, how you doing, Tom? Uh, just really quick, I know you're busy. Uh, your team puts together a great show. Thank you. Uh, and I just, I'm, you know, I love you guys. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Well, so thank good. you, Tom. Is Back it wrong you. for me to? Thank you. Is it wrong for me to feel that you need to be a U.S. citizen? To own property in the United States—that so is the law in
3: many countries around the world. It's Mexico. not the law in the majority of countries, but it—you know—there are countries that have those requirements: domestic citizenship or residence, at the very least. Yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, my mother-in-law lived in Mexico, and that was the rule there. And it—you know—it just God. I, it, the price of property in Los Angeles is skyrocketing. And
3: right. In part because foreign investors are buying up, you know, both residential and commercial real estate now, uh, yeah. but particularly residential real estate, and it's happening—it's happening all over the country.
2: Yeah, well, that's pretty much my rant. Thank you for the year, and you take care. God okay, bless
3: you. thanks a lot, Edward. Great to hear from you. I appreciate it. Marilyn in Sun City, uh, West Arizona. Hey, Marilyn, what's on your mind?
5: Hi, Tom. It's been a while since I called, but I have not missed a show in about 10 years.
3: Oh, my. Well, it's nice um, to hear from you,
5: Marilyn. Thank you. It's always good to hear you. I was really concerned about a caller that you had that said that he or she did not think that we would ever actually get to a fascist fascistic society because we are just we are Americans and we're just too smart for that and we're not a third world country and and that was the gist of it yeah. and i just think you know pride goes before a fall and there is such arrogance in this country that no it can't happen here and we'll notice it and we'll do something about it and you know that's how trump got into office and how he may get into office again i think this country really needs to watch you know my parents a lot of my family died in the concentration camps in world war ii they were from. Poland and Austria on that. And I'm telling you, it is not above us to do that. And the arrogance is what will eventually sell us down the road.
3: Yeah, the German Republic, you know, the Weimar, Germany was an advanced democratic republic when when, uh, Hitler took over. Uh, No country is immune to this. No country is immune to the demagoguery of, of, particularly of of a man uh, or a person, I should say, uh, but uh, typically it's a man, um, who, who is trying to divide people by race and religion in particular. Those are, the, those are the fault lines where we seem to be just wired to be tribal, and uh, um, so they're so easily exploited.
5: And what you said is true, that it comes in increments. The first thing, nobody remembers this, in 2016, before Trump was sworn in, but after the election to to put him in what took place when the Congress changed over on January 3rd, the first order of business was to remove the ethics office that tells
3: us something yeah that tells us a lot Marilyn. thank you thank you yes it's it is incremental and, it, and it's about you know it's a death by a thousand paper cuts or you know being pecked to death by baby ducks or you know pick pick your old cliched metaphor but that's how it works and that's what we've been watching for the last well since reagan in my opinion but in particular the last five years
2: you're listening to tom hartman
11: Figure Lending, LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org.
3: We're reading today from The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Shearer here on the Tom Harbin University Book Club. This is from The Forward by Shirer. He writes, Though I lived and worked in the Third Reich during the first half of its brief life, watching at first hand Adolf Hitler consolidated his power as dictator of a great but baffling nation and then lead it off to war and conquest. This personal experience would not have led me to attempt to write this book had there not occurred at the end of World War II an event unique in history. This was the capture of most of the confidential archives of the German government and all its branches, including those of in the Foreign Office, the Army and Navy, the National Socialist Party, and Heinrich Himmler's secret police. Never before, I believe, has such a vast treasure fallen into the hands of contemporary historians. Hitherto, the archives of a great state, even when it was defeated in war and its government overthrown by revolution, as happened to Germany and Russia in 1918, were preserved by it, and only those documents which served the interests of the subsequent ruling regime were ultimately published. The swift collapse of the Third Reich in the spring of 1945, however, resulted in the surrender not only of a vast bulk of its secret papers, but of other priceless materials, such as private diaries, highly secret speeches, conference reports and correspondence, and even transcripts of telephone conversations of the Nazi leaders tapped by a special office set up by Hermann Goering, in the air ministry. General Franz Halder, for example, kept a voluminous diary jotted down in Gabelsberger shorthand, not only from day to day, but from hour to hour throughout the day. It's a unique source of concise information for the period between August 14, 1939, and September 24, 1942, when he was chief of the Army staff and in daily contact with Hitler and the other leaders of Nazi Germany. It is the most revealing of the German diaries, but there are others of great value, including those of Dr. Joseph Goebbels, the Minister of Propaganda and close party associate of Hitler, and of General Alfred Kud- Jodl. Chief of Operations of the High Command of the Armed Forces. That's the OKW. There are diaries of the OKW itself and of the Naval High Command. Indeed, the sixty thousand files of the German Naval Archives, which were captured at Schloss Tombach near Coburg, contain practically all of the signals, ships' logs, diaries, memoranda, etc., of the German Navy from April 1945, when they were found, all the way back to 1868, when the modern German Navy was founded. The 485 tons of records of the German Foreign Office captured by the U.S. First Army in various castles and mines in the Harz Mountains, just as they were about to be burned on orders from Berlin, cover not only the period of the Third Reich, but go back to the Weimar Republic to the beginning of the Second Reich of Bismarck. For many years after the war, tons of Nazi documents laid sealed in a large U.S. Army warehouse in Alexandria, Virginia. Our government showing no interest in even opening the packing cases to see what documents of historical interest might lie within them. Finally, in 1955, ten years after their capture, thanks to the initiative of the American Historical Association and the generosity of a couple of private foundations, the Alexandria Papers were opened and a pitifully small group of scholars with an inadequate staff and equipment went to work to sift through them and photograph them before the government, which is a great hurry in this matter, returned them to Germany. It proved a rich find. So did such documents as the partial stenographic record of 51 Fuhrer conferences on the daily military situation as seen and discussed in Hitler's headquarters, and the fuller text of the Nazi warlord's table talk with his old party cronies and secretaries during the war. The first of these was rescued from the charred remains of some of Hitler's papers at by an intelligence officer of the U.S. 101st Airborne Division, and the second was found among Martin Bormann's papers. And he goes through and he lists some more of this stuff. And he says, I have not read, of course, all of the staggering amount of documentation. It would be far beyond the power of any single individual. But I've worked my way through a considerable part of it. Slowed down, as all toilers in this rich vineyard must be, by the lack of any suitable indexes. It is quite remarkable how little those of us who were stationed in Germany during the Nazi time, journalists and diplomats, really knew of what was going on behind the facade of the Third Reich. A totalitarian dictatorship, by its very nature, works in great secrecy and knows how to preserve that secrecy from the prying eyes of outsiders. It was easy enough to record and describe the bare, exciting, and often revolting events in the Third Reich An Anschluss with Austria, the surrender of Chamberlain at Munich, the occupation of Czechoslovakia, the attacks on Poland, Scandinavia, the West, the Balkans, and Russia, the horrors of the Nazi occupation and the concentration camps, and the liquidation of the Jews. But the fateful decisions. Secretly made, the intrigues, the treachery, the motives, and the aberrations which led up to them, the parts played by the principal actors behind the scenes, the extent of the terror they exercised, and their technique of organizing it all this and much more remained largely hidden from us until the secret German papers turned up. Some may think that it is much too early to try to write a history of the Third Reich, that such a task should be left to a later generation of writers to whom time has given perspective. I found this view especially prevalent in France when I went to do some research there. Nothing more recent than the Napoleonic era, I was told, should be tackled by writers of history. The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Scherer. And welcome back. Ron in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Hey, Ron, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up?
7: Tom, you know, your predictions of uh... dire consequences if we lose the election which i totally agree with and i think we may be on that path but i what i believe the scenario will happen if the republicans take control of everything and they institute fascism the military the cia and the fbi like they did with with trump when he asked the military to perform a coup d'etat general milley said no Right. We're going to stand with the with the nation. We have to we have to hope, and we have to fill our ranks with our young people that will follow the orders of their officers. And I I believe that, that what they will will do they will declare martial law.
3: Here's the thing, Ron, and, and this country. is I mean I, I encourage you to read the history of a country that actually went through this. You know, for example, uh, the rise and fall of Third Reich by I'm forgetting his name now the guy who wrote it. But in any case. It comes incrementally. It comes in little tiny pieces over and over and over, just, you know, an inch every day. And then, you know, at the end of the year, all of a sudden, everything has changed. And that's how they do it. That's That's how it happened all through the Trump administration. There was no one great moment where everybody went, holy cow, he did that? There were all these little moments where different constituencies were saying, "Okay, now he's he's uh, you know, undoing the pollution rules and now he's undoing the banking regulations and now he's un- and now he's 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 promoting the 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 fascism, you know, in the media and now whatever it may be, right? And and every step along the way all adds up to fascism or neo-fascism. But there isn't that one great shocking moment and I don't think there will be if Trump takes over. I think that they're going to do it the same way that Orban did in Hungary, the same way Russia, did, the uh, Putin did in Russia, the same way that that uh, you know Hitler did in Germany. The, uh, Mussolini in, in Italy. Mussolini was arguably a little more of a shock, but even there, you know, as as he continued to to rule over his first two years, it was very incremental, and that's the problem. That's that's the crisis.
7: Tom, I, I think, but what I think you are doing is you are. Are uh, diminishing the, the knowledge of our leadership, our military leadership, and our, and our progressive leadership. Yes, we, we, we see these, these, hist- these historical events and how they transpire, but this country is different. This country is different, unlike any other. And like I, like I you know, I, I've been predicting the Civil War for a long time. And, I, you know, I've been through the Vietnam War. And I want to live through this Civil War too, plain and simple. If it happens, I want to be there. And I want to I defend my country, just yeah. like my son and his
3: friends. Well, let's, so let's try on. not to have a civil war, Ron. Civil wars are the most brutal. To be, Tom, and, we and, cannot stop what's going to happen. Well, we I'm not stop. sure that that's true, Ron. I, I, I think we can stop what's going to happen, and, and or at least what they want to happen. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think we have an obligation to stop it. Ron, i got to move on. Thank you for the call. This is kind of a bummer, but, yeah, I get it. Uh, I'm going to move on to Pat Neviston, Illinois. Hey, Pat, what's up?
0: Thank you, Tom, for having me on. I just wanted to uh, talk about that fact that it comes in a thousand cuts. You, it incrementally. What is that uh, saying? That it, they went to after these people. I did nothing. They went after that group of people. I did yeah, nothing. Yeah, Pastor this is what has been happening. Yeah. That's what happens. You don't pay attention to it because it didn't happen to you, and before you know it, it's happened to everyone, and you're stuck. Yes. You're sunk. Yeah. Because you don't care about immigration, or you don't care about Black Lives Matter, or you don't care about the Jewish situation, or you don't care about blah blah blah, because it's not you until it gets to you, and then it's too late.
3: Yeah, very well said, Pat. Thank you. That was the perfect punctuation mark to the uh, to the hour. Thank you, and that's the end of the show. <laughs> so we'll we'll see you at the same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget: democracy is not a spectator sport. Never has been. Never will be, and in order for democracy to work in this country, it needs everyone participating, which includes you. So please get out there, get active, tag your end, help strengthen and and reinforce our democracy. Please tag your end. Be good to yourself and the people around you. you.